Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Continuing in the book of Luke, our scripture reading this morning will be found in chapter 6. We will read verses 12 through 16. As usual, I will read the first verse and ask that you join in with me on the second verse and continue with me every other verse. Would you please stand and reread these verses? That's Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zalot, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are enjoying reading the book of Luke. Um, the word of prayer was mentioned, which brings us closer to you, which also increases our faith. We ask that your blessing be with the pastor as he delivers his message. And we ask this in our Lord Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Right, as we continue our journey with Jesus, we arrive at a very important part of Jesus' earthly ministry where he selects his 12 apostles. And before we look at this choice, we see Jesus spends all night in prayer to God. Verse 12 of Luke 6 says, It came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. By the way, there's nothing like praying on a mountain. I don't know if you guys are from areas that have mountains. I'm from upstate New York where we have real mountains, not like here. Uh, how many of you agree there's no mountains here? Okay, there you go. Some people call things a mountain because it's, you know, 100 feet in the air and it's just a landfill. But uh, back home where we have real mountains, there's nothing like being on top of a mountain. You just feel closer to God. The wind's blowing all over the place, and it's just it's an incredible experience. And so I, I'm with Jesus on this one. I like praying on mountains. And here we see Lee, uh, Jesus prays all night before selecting his 12 apostles. Last week's text, if you were here last week, you remember that it ended with uh, the hatred of Jesus rising to a new level, where the religious leaders were looking for a way to destroy him. They wanted to kill him. And so Jesus chooses his apostles and begins to train them so that they can carry on the work after he's gone. He spends a night in prayer before selecting these important men who will carry the gospel of the kingdom after Jesus leaves. Verse 13 says, when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom, whom also he named apostles. Now at this point, we need to distinguish between two words that often get confused, and that is disciple and apostle. Okay, These are not exactly the same thing. There's some overlap, but they're different. The word disciple means a learner, a follower, a student. We might think today of an apprentice or an intern. Uh, if you're into Star Wars, a Padawan learner, okay? This is what we're talking about. This is somebody who follows the teacher and learns from him. Jesus had many disciples. In fact, at certain points in Jesus' ministry, he had thousands. You remember where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. They were following him around, listening to him teach. Those would be disciples. 
But these uh, apostles are a bit different. You see in Luke 6, even the wording there, Jesus chooses from his disciples 12 who would become apostles. And the, the apostles were a group chosen from the larger group of disciples. The, the word apostle means sent one. That's the most basic definition of it. it. It's a representative. These are people who would be sent to represent Jesus. We might think of ambassadors or deputies, somebody that carries with them the authority of the person who sent them. And so these were specially trained and, and commissioned men who would spread Jesus' message and speak on his behalf with his authority. Uh, I have an older sister. Some of you know this. And uh, that means growing up, I essentially had two mothers. Uh, anyone who has an older sister, you know, they are notoriously bossy. And my sister was no exception. She would tell me what to do all the time. She loved it. And I loved ignoring her because I was a little brother. But there was a one thing that my sister Lacey could say that would change everything. If she told me to clean my room, there was no way I was cleaning my room. But if she said, mom said so, then I had to listen. Because in our house, if one of the siblings said to another, mom or dad said to do this, that carried with it the same weight as if our parents had told us directly. And so to not listen to what my sister was saying mom told me to do, that would be like directly disobeying my mother. And so that's exactly what Jesus does with these apostles. He sends them out and they speak with the authority of Jesus. So if they say, uh, this is the truth, they're speaking on behalf of Jesus. They carry with them uh, the weight of his authority. John 13, verse 20, Jesus says of the apostles, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. So there you see, these are, are people who are sent as representatives of Jesus Christ. And to reject them is to reject Jesus. To listen and receive their message is to receive the message of Christ. These are people who are speaking on behalf of Jesus. When they write, it's, it's the same as if Jesus were writing a book. It's the same authority. And so these are very important figures in Scripture and in the founding of the church. We're going to look now at the list, and uh, this is going to be a few weeks before we get through all of this. I started to work on this thinking it would be one sermon, and I, I would keep you guys here for two hours if I tried to get through all of these today. So I decided we'll split this up for a few weeks. But first, we'll see the first name on the list in verse 14. It says, Simon whom he also named Peter. Simon was his name at birth. Jesus gave him the name that we know him by, which is Peter. And that name means rock. It was sort of a nickname that Jesus gave to Peter. It's uh, something like, I think he was calling Peter to be more than what he was. He, it's sort of like when I was uh, young and into baseball, one of my coaches would call me Roger, which wasn't my name, but he was, uh, he was talking about Roger Clemens, a famous pitcher for the Yankees when I was growing up. And when he would call me Roger, he was essentially telling me, you go out there and pitch like you're Roger Clemens. Of course, I'm, you know, 10 years old. I'm no Roger Clemens. But uh, that's sort of, that's sort of what, what, what's happening with Peter. He calls him Peter, which is not his given name, but it's, it's sort of like uh, Jesus telling Peter, be that rock. Be that strong uh, foundation that I, can, that I can use. And so when the Bible lists these 12 apostles, every time the first name on the list is Peter. Peter is the leader among the 12. There's no question about that. When Peter does or says something, the others tend to follow suit. Uh, Peter's probably the best known of the 12 disciples. If I were to ask you, who do you know the most about about these 12? Probably Peter would be the one. That's for a few reasons. First of all, Peter talks more than any of the others in the Gospels. It's not particularly close. Uh, he's also the focus of the first half of the book of Acts. It really zeroes in on Peter's ministry. Peter also wrote two of our epistles in the New Testament, First and Second Peter. 
And so we know quite a bit about him. There's a lot of spotlight on the Apostle Peter. Now, if you've been with us since the last chapter, in chapter 5, you may remember that we've already been introduced to Peter. He was a fisherman uh, living in Capernaum, and Jesus came to him one day while he was cleaning his nets. He asked him to use his boat, and he taught people from it, and then he told Peter to go back out for a catch. You remember the story from chapter 5, and Peter goes, has this miraculous catch, and then he leaves it all to follow Jesus. And so we've already been introduced to Peter. We know that he was one of Christ's disciples, but here... Jesus is calling him not just to be a disciple, but to be chosen among the disciples to be one of Jesus' apostles. We also know Peter was married. Remember in chapter 4, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, which is very hard to have a mother-in-law if you're not married. And church history tells us that Peter's wife actually traveled with him on the missionary journeys, and they served together. Peter was a brash man. If we want to get into his personality a little bit, he, he spoke before thinking regularly. He was the type of person that acted quickly without necessarily considering what he was doing, but he was all in. Ready, fire, aim. That's Peter. When Peter's right, he's really right, and when Peter's wrong, he's really wrong. None of the disciples confess Jesus' lordship as clearly as Peter, and none of the disciples deny Jesus like Peter. None of the others was rebuked more than Peter, and none of the others had the audacity to rebuke Jesus except Peter. Because of Peter's frequent mentions in the New Testament, we have a lot more material than we could possibly cover this morning. I'm just going to look at a few highlights, starting with Matthew 17. In this text, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up into a mountain, and he's transfigured before them. His appearance changes. He begins to glow with a a radiant light, and then Moses and Elijah come and stand with Jesus. And Peter, James, and John get to see this take place. We pick up the story in verse 1 where it says, After six days... Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter, notice nobody asked Peter a question, but then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses and one for Elias. Not a bright thing for Peter to say. He's wanting to build a tabernacle for all three of them. He's not recognizing the, uh, the, the superiority of Jesus Christ to the rest. And so verse 5, God rebukes him. It says, while he yet spake, Peter is still in the middle of speaking, and behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. That's God's way of shutting Peter up. Stop talking. Listen to my Son. And this gives us a good glimpse into the life of Peter. He was quick to speak. He often put his foot in his mouth. But one of Peter's better moments was the chapter before in Matthew 16, where Jesus asks his apostles, who are people saying that I am? And they respond saying, well, some people think you're a prophet. Some people think you're John the Baptist, all these different things. And then he says, well, who do you think I am? Peter responds in verse 16 saying, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So there's an example of him being very much so right. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Again, here we see Peter being the first one to speak, always very quick to give his opinion, but he's saying something very right, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And Jesus promises Peter in this text 
that he would be instrumental in the building of the New Testament church, that it would be on his confession that he gives here, that the church would be built. But look at what happens next in verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, they're going to kill me, I'm going to rise again. Verse 22, then Peter took him, took Jesus, and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So six verses after Peter is blessed for his great answer, he's being called Satan. Jesus, he's rebuking Jesus. And so Jesus corrects him. This is a good example of Peter's lack of thought. Another humorous example is John 18, when Jesus is eventually arrested, and Jesus has repeatedly told the apostles that this is going to happen. It's amazing. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus tells them over and over, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to rise again. And they just never seem to get it. But in, in John 18.10, this is Peter's reaction when they come to arrest Jesus. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Peter, when he sees this large army, the Gospels tell us, of people coming with weapons to arrest Jesus, he takes out a little sword and swing, takes a swing at the first guy. I mean, what is he going to do? Fight the whole army? Uh, but this is Peter's, Peter's lack of forethought. Jesus rebuked Peter and he eventually heals the man's ear and tells Peter to put his sword away. Perhaps the most famous example of Peter's failure is his denial. Jesus told Peter in Matthew 26 that he would deny him. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. So Jesus tells him, Tonight you're going to deny me three times. Verse 35, Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Peter's insistent that no matter what, there's no way he's going to deny Jesus. Later that night, the, when Jesus is arrested and the apostles scatter in fear, Jesus is put on trial where he will end up being condemned to death. And during that trial, Peter is standing a ways away, and a young girl comes up to him and recognizes Peter as one of Jesus' followers. We see this in verse 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bewrayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is uh, perhaps the lowest point in Peter's life. He's just abandoned Jesus, and now he's denied even knowing who he is out of fear. Peter was a flawed and weak man. There's many other instances of weakness we could point out in the life of Peter, even after Jesus left. You remember Peter uh, refuses to accept that Gentiles can be saved in the book of Acts, and Jesus has to really press him to finally accept this. In Galatians 2, Paul withstood Peter to his face because he was being a hypocrite. And so 
Peter was definitely not uh, a perfect man at any point in his life, and yet God used him miraculously. It was he who on the day of Pentecost preached and 3,000 were saved. Peter was a flawed man. He was a sinful man. At times he was very arrogant and uh, impetuous, and yet God used him mightily. Peter was repeatedly persecuted for preaching the gospel in the book of Acts, but he never backed down. And at the end of his life, Peter died for Christ. He was crucified as a martyr for the faith that he preached. And at his execution, history tells us, he requested to be crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. The next name on the list of apostles is Andrew. Back to Luke 6, it says, Simon, whom also whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And that's pretty much how Andrew is known, as Peter's brother. I, I went to college at the same uh, place my sister had gone, and she was pretty popular, and she had graduated the year before I came. And so when I arrived at the campus, uh, I realized my name had been changed. I was now Lacey's brother. It's like anytime anybody was talking about me, oh, that's Lacey's brother. And this is sort of Peter's fate, or, or I'm sorry, Andrew's fate. He's Peter's brother. Uh, that's, that's how he's known throughout the Gospels. Andrew, like his brother Peter, was a fisherman. We, we see this mentioned in Matthew 4. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren. Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. So these two men were both fishermen. We're not told much about Andrew throughout the Gospels, but there's one theme that's repeated numerous times, and that is that Andrew brought people to Jesus. We see in John 6, you remember when Jesus feeds five uh, 5,000 men, it was from the lunch of a boy who was in the crowd. There was a boy there that had five loaves and two fishes. Andrew's the one who brought him to Jesus. We see in John 6, verse 8, one of his disciple disciples, Andrew, Simon P- Peter's brother, he can't get away from that label, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? So here he's bringing this little boy to Jesus. Verse uh, John 12 We're told this, there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. And the same came therefore to Philip, which was of of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. So some Greeks come to Philip, say, hey, we want to meet Jesus. Verse 22, Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. So the Greeks come to Philip. Uh, Philip apparently is not sure what to do with them. So he talks to Andrew about it. And Andrew says, let's go come and meet Jesus. He brings people to Christ. Of all the people that Andrew brought to Jesus, the most notable was his own brother. It was Andrew who first introduced Peter to Jesus. Andrew was a, a follower originally of John the Baptist. And when Jesus came, John pointed his disciples to Jesus. He declares, this is the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And some of the disciples of John started following Jesus from that point. Andrew was one of them. We see this in John chapter 1, where it says, One of the two which heard John speak followed him, followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, that's Peter, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which which is by interpretation a stone. Cephas is just the Aramaic version of Peter. It's the same name, meaning a rock or a stone. So although we don't know much about Andrew, what we see in uh, Scripture is that Andrew brought people to Jesus, even his own brother. And he did this after Jesus left as well. Andrew preached the gospel and eventually was crucified like his brother on an X-shaped cross. That's why, especially if you have a Catholic background, you know the symbol X is associated with the St. Andrew. He wasn't nailed to this cross. Instead, he was tied to it. 
And he actually lived a couple of days as he was hanging there before he eventually died. During that time, as he was hanging on his cross, he preached to those around him. So even in his death, Andrew was bringing people to Jesus. Next on Luke's list, back to chapter 6, are two names. We'll take these both together, James and John. These are two brothers, just like Peter and Andrew, and they were both fishermen as well. So a lot of similarities here. James and John were partners, in fact, with Peter and Andrew in the fishing business. If you remember back in Luke chapter 5, when Peter has his miraculous catch of fish, we're told this in verse 10, when the, uh, the boats are beginning to fill up, it says that he calls uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. They, they worked together in this fishing business. So the four men, two brothers, two sets of brothers, and they were all fishermen. They were living in Capernaum, and they were working with Peter and Andrew. But James and John seemed to have something of Peter's personality as well. Jesus had a nickname for them that we see in Mark 3, where it says, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. And he surnamed them Bonergis, which is the sons of thunder. That's what Jesus referred to them as. These two brothers were not without their flaws, as we see in Mark 10. This is a good example. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldst do for us whatsoever we shall desire. He said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. So here we get a glimpse into the arrogance of James and John. They think they're better than the other disciples, and toward the end of the chapter, the other disciples get really mad at them for even asking this. Uh, but Jesus rebukes them, tells them that's not him his to give. And actually, uh, in another account, we find that they bring their mother along with them to ask Jesus. I mean, that's kind of a, a pathetic blow there. On another occasion, Jesus was headed to Jerusalem, and he wanted to go through a village of Samaria, but the people would not receive him. When James and John heard this, look at their response, Luke 9, 54. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and to consume them, even as Elias did? So this town wouldn't accept them, and James and John are like, let's just burn them with fire. Verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them and said, ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. They went into another village. These two were arrogant men, at times very immature men. Yet Jesus chose them to be his apostles. And they ended up both serving God tremendously when Jesus left. James, you remember in the book of Acts, he was the first of the apostles to be martyred. We focus a lot of attention on Peter and on John and on some, some of the others, but when Herod wanted to stop Christianity, he decided to kill James. Apparently James was a very strong figure, History records that James was beheaded, and as he was headed to his death, he actually won one of the officers to Christ who was leading him to his execution, and that officer was beheaded next to James for his faith in Christ as well. As for John, he became known as the Apostle of Love. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote First, Second, and Third John toward the end of your New Testament. He also wrote the book of Revelation. Love is the theme throughout John's writings. He felt the love of Christ uniquely. He even re referred to himself in his gospel as the disciple Jesus loved. And John was faithful to Christ. He was the only one of the twelve who was at the cross when Jesus was crucified. All the others abandoned, but John stayed faithful to Christ. Jesus entrusted John uh, with the care of his mother Mary after he, after he left. John was a rare exception to the other uh, apostles 
in that he was not killed for his faith. Uh, there's some tradition that he may have been uh, persecuted and even they tried to kill him but couldn't. That's not, it's a little fuzzy in the history books. But either way, we know that he ended up exiled to the island of Patmos where he, where he wrote the book of Revelation. Looking back at Luke 6, we see two more names. These will be the last two that we cover this morning. Philip and Bartholomew. Uh, Philip was from Bethsaida, the same town Andrew and Peter were from originally. They moved to Capernaum later. Bartholomew is also known as Nathaniel in the New Testament. Nathaniel was from Cana, which is where Jesus turned water into wine. It's a few miles from Nazareth. In John 1, verse 43, we get our introduction to these two men. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So here we see Philip being much like Andrew. Soon as he meets Jesus, he goes and grabs a friend and says, I want you to meet this guy too. But when he hears that he's from Nazareth, uh, Nathanael responds in verse 46 saying, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. That means deceit. He's an honest man. Verse 48, Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. This text is really all we know about Nathanael. We see a man who starts off skeptical of Nazareth, but he's very quick to accept Jesus after this brief meeting. And Philip, like I said earlier, he's a bit like Andrew in that he brought his friend Nathanael to Jesus. Philip, we get a little bit more glimpse into Philip throughout the Gospels. He seems to be a bit slow to understand who Jesus was and what he could do. In John 6, when Jesus wants to feed 5,000, he asks Philip, "'Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat?' This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. So you get a glimpse into Philip's doubt and his lack of understanding about Christ. John 14, again, uh, Jesus is teaching about the Trinity. And he says, if he had known me, you would have known my father also. And from henceforth, ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the father and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? So these are just a couple of interactions that we have with Philip in Scripture. All we know of Nathanael is what Jesus said of him in John 1, the passage we already looked at. But history tells us Philip brought the gospel to France and Turkey, where he ends up dying also as a martyr. Nathanael took the gospel to Armenia, and he was crucified for preaching the gospel. Now, there's more in Luke's list here. We'll get to those next week. Uh, but I decided to split this into two. Again, 12 names is way too many to cover in one sermon. But I want us to, for now, just close with a reflection from these men that we've looked at, and that is that God uses flawed men. These are unlikely heroes. You wouldn't think that these would be people that Jesus would choose to be on his team, to represent him. I mean, Jesus is entrusting the gospel to these 12 men. It's going to be on them whether this Christianity ends up going anywhere. And Jesus decides to choose some men that were often arrogant and immature, lacking love and understanding. These were flawed men. They were far from perfect. 
Yet God used them to accomplish his mission of spreading the gospel around the world. Jesus knew these men were flawed when he chose them. Uh, He knew about Peter. He knew that he would deny him before he ever did. And yet he chose him anyway. God knows your flaws, and he knew your flaws when he chose you to be his disciple. And whatever God's calling is on your life, he foresees your failures just like he did Peter's. Yet he chose you anyway. God uses us in spite of our weakness. I want to close this morning with one verse from Mark 1. This is the account where Jesus is calling Andrew and Peter to follow him. He's calling them to give up fishing and instead join his mission of reaching people with the gospel. And he articulates this in Mark 1, 17. Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Every word of that statement is very important, but I want to focus here in particular on the last half of Jesus' sentence. I will make you to become fishers of men. Peter and Andrew could not do what God wanted them to do on their own. They were weak and flawed men. And yet Jesus promises them, if you just follow me, I can change your life. I can transform you into the man God wants you to be. I'll make you to become fishers of men. Notice the word become there. It's a process. It's not instantaneous. As they followed Christ for three years, they fell many times. Jesus uh, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, he sends them out to preach, and then he brings them back for more training. He sends them back out, brings them back in for more training. After his resurrection, he meets with them for 40 days and trains them further. And then finally, in the book of Acts, they're released. It was a process of time. They followed Jesus for years, failing and saying and doing some really dumb things. But Jesus was patient with them. Teaching, at times rebuking them in love when they needed it. And in the end, these flawed men were used to change the world. If you think that God can't use you because of your sin or because of your weaknesses, look, just look at the apostles. You won't always be a perfect Christian. You'll disappoint the Lord just like Peter did many times. You'll be immature at times like James and John, and you'll feel the sting of his rebuke. But in the end, you're exactly the kind of person God uses to accomplish great things. doesn't matter what you are now. Follow Jesus and see what he can make you to become. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.